Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. We're not through with the book of Isaiah, but we're taking this pause in the Thanksgiving holiday to look at these Psalms of Thanksgiving. Yesterday, we looked at Psalm 105, and today, looking at Psalm 106, another one of these Psalms that starts off with the Hebrew word, Hallelujah. And it's a psalm that not only gives praise to God, but actually just recounts and kind of summarizes the, the whole uh, history in the Old Testament. And today goes a little bit further, uh, further along than I did in, in Psalm 105, um, just recounting a lot of numbers, but even getting up into uh, books like Joshua. So it's a, it's a really long psalm because of that, as it just summarizes the story. But there's a very particular way that it summarizes the story. It's a very particular perspective that God's Word is giving us on these events. So that's what we're going to be kind of paying attention to and focusing on today. And joining us, we have uh, a, a new guest for myself. We've got the Reverend Dr. Lane Berglund, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Cherubusco, Indiana, Good morning, brother. Glad to have you with us today. Well, likewise, a good morning to you as well, and uh, best to those who are listening in today. Wish you God's grace as we get started in the day ahead and uh, look for him to direct us in the things he wants us to do and how and when that should be accomplished. Amen. And it's really just so fitting on a day like uh, the day after Thanksgiving to, to pause and, and to give thanks. And I really like that um, I've, I've been a, a part of churches that have services on the day before Thanksgiving and, you know, that encourage their members to, hey, you know, like around this time, I know it's, uh, I know all the sales are alluring and maybe some of that might be okay. But, you know, the whole point of Thanksgiving is to focus not on the gifts, but the giver. That's where we have quite the advantage, I think, because, the, well, the common wisdom is to feel thankful, and I think that falls short. We can be thankful because we do have someone to express our thanks towards the one who gives this. And so while people are walking around being generally thankful in sort of a no abstract way, we can say, thank you, Lord. For it is in your kindness and mercy that we have these gifts. Absolutely. I think that, that's well put. It's not an abstract, I'm thankful. It's a concrete thank you, uh, which, is, which is, just makes all the difference when it comes to how we're actually going to live our lives and how that thankfulness is going to play out. Well, let's go ahead. It is a longer psalm, and we'll just have to break it up bit by bit here. So let's get started, and as we do, brother, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening today? It would be so much a uh, gift to be able to do so. Father, we give thanks to you, for you are the giver of all good gifts. And while the gifts will come and the gifts will go, the one gift that lasts forever is your Son, our Savior. In his name we pay the gift of your Holy Spirit too, Lord. Direct and guide us that you would open the Scripture to our eyes and see, certainly see, in this psalm, a record of our failures, but also see a record of your faithfulness and your grace and your promise kept, for you are always trustworthy. Lift us up, O Lord, past our circumstance to you, and to be thankful, overflowing with thanks at all times, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, as we get started here, do you have any thoughts for us in terms of where this psalm is placed? It is coming right after Psalm 105 that we looked at yesterday, and interestingly, it seems like it's right at the very end of Book 4 of the Psalter. So what is the the situation of this psalm telling us uh, and kind of helping us to expect as we start reading? It's true that sometimes we see that there's a, a coherence and organization to the sequence of psalms. And on our psalm today, Psalm 105, we find a lot of parallels to Psalm 78, which is the uh, oh, fifth or sixth psalm in the, in the third book, in the five books that constitute the Psalter. But we also see a sequence from 104, 105, 106, where Psalm 104 glorifies God and praises him for his creation. And Psalm 105, as, as you looked at yesterday, praises him for his saving greatness. And Psalm 106 here contrasts with 105. Well, 105 might look at the greatness of God and his mercy and the salvation that he has procured. This psalm tends to look at our failure. And uh, yet the, the Lord did not abandon us. And there's several right. thoughts about when that might have been written, maybe at the beginning of the Babylonian exile or shortly thereafter, say around uh, 587 B.C. is when that began. So right. from the perspective of a people taken out of the Promised Land, they see parallels to their situation and the people that chickened out in Numbers 14 when they were brought to the edge of the Promised Land, and the Lord said, none of you shall enter into this, this promise, and then sent them in the wilderness for a period of time. So there's some, there are parallels that these folks see their life experience and life events as compared to that which occurred back in um, the middle of the 15th century B.C., about a mm -hmm. thousand years earlier. So we likewise can see so many parallels between how God's people reacted to God's testing and God's grace then, because that's what so much of what we see reflected in the failure of Israel. Whenever God would put them to the test, to teach them to trust him, and don't depend on circumstance. You know, if you don't have water, does that mean God wants to kill you? Is he trying to teach us that we don't need water? If we have him, he's what we need. Are we being taught to trust him to provide what we need when we need it? Same way with food. And and then Deuteronomy 6 and 7 and 8, God kind of explains some of that. But in this psalm, probably written about, well, say, 550, 60, 70 B.C., there is a, a, a lament that we confess our sins, but it's in the context of praise. The first line and the last line of the psalm is, as you pointed out, praise the Lord. And right. that's the context in which we live our lives as well. Thank you. That's very helpful. I think that uh, it actually makes it fit really rather well for what we're doing in Isaiah with this second portion of Isaiah that we're going through, chapters 40 through 66, being the portion that focuses on the perspective of uh, of the exile and it's preaching good good news and words of comfort to the exiles um you know like of course isaiah uh, much earlier but uh, being given this heavenly perspective that that looks into this future situation which seems to as you're suggesting overlap with what's going on in yeah. psalm 106 and so 106 it makes sense that it follows 105 105 maybe from an earlier perspective but 106 
um, you know, and actually you get the phrase at the end. It isn't just like a psalm of, you know, thanksgiving and praise, but it's towards the end that you actually get in the second to last verse, save us, O Lord, our exactly. God. So in, indeed, it does sound like it might be from the perspective of exile, which is just instructive to us that we give thanks to God and we praise him even in the midst of our suffering and even in the midst of the suffering that uh, is really just our own failures, as, as you've been saying, that are confronting us. So even when the failures confront us and even when our sin is just undeniable and before our face, you still praise God. You know, when we're in the difficult times, and I see this a lot in Scripture, the Lord directs us to praise him for the times of salvation, the times when he's interceded and rescued, and to look forward to that, again, happening when it's the right time. It's like in Psalm 27, the end, wait on the Lord, be strong, take heart, wait on the Lord. And you want to let the plan unfold, which is a criticism early in this psalm, that people did not let the plan of God unfold. They cried out for God, right, you've got to give this to us right now, rather right. than trusting him and letting him do when he wants, not just what he wants. Right. Well, and we should we should go ahead and start reading it and take a look at this, how there are these different aspects to the, the criticism, really the self-criticism here of the psalmist on behalf of the people. What, do you, what exactly is the is the problem? Well, what, what have they done wrong? What's the nature of the failure? Which just highlights then the nature of God's gracious response in the midst of it. So let's look at the first chunk here. We'll look at just uh, maybe the first five verses just to get the ball rolling here. So Psalm 106, beginning with the first verse. Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. So the the opening words, you know, like, like I was saying, you know, it says, praise the Lord, that is literally in the Hebrew, hallelujah, just hallelujah. There's, there's the word there, that short form of Yahweh, God's divine name, which he shared with Moses. And, and then you get that bit there, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. That's uh, that's in the catechism, right? That's that's part of the prayer. Um, I believe that's the, the returning uh, returning thanks prayer that Luther meant for after you've eaten the meal, right? Yeah, and I use it as a, a, a meal prayer as well, one of several verses from Scripture, and then the traditional table prayers. Uh, it uh, seems only right and proper we should thank God our daily food because uh, it's his gift we should not think we're entitled to eat yet and there's a lot of people that, that don't get their daily bread it's uh it's a wonderful gift that we have it yet i sometimes think a lot of christians almost take it for granted or thoughtlessly you know just dive in it's good to take a moment and say oh give thanks unto the lord for he is good his steadfast love his mercy endures forever as we receive from his hand this this wonderful gift food Absolutely right. It's it's and it's hard and it's easy to it's easy to take it for granted because you know we eat all the time and uh, <laughs> you know uh, you it's easy to think to you know especially in these days we have um, 
you know, there, there's the term grazing, right? And we talk about, oh, well, it's better for oh, your metabolism yeah. to be, you know, constantly just eating a little bit. And oh, may, maybe there's something to that. Uh, but, you know, it's when, when you're just kind of constantly snacking throughout the day, it's like, you know, are you going to sit down and deliberately say a prayer every single time, right? Um, it's it's easy to to forget. And actually, I think it's in that respect that this first part is about forgetting um, that it's actually very appropriate that we should say such words um, in this very deliberate um, way of remembering regularly throughout yeah. our day. Because uh, as we're going to see in the next in the next chunk, that's the problem that we forget God's goodness. We do not remember, and I think that's the Hebrew. You know, the criticism is they did not remember, but God remembered. And that's the, the, you know, forget, but it's not just to think about, but to remember, like remember the Sabbath day means to re-experience. Remember I brought you up out of Egypt, re-experience, right. uh, uh, do this in remembrance of me as re-experience. So it's a, it's, it's a visceral life-connecting sort of reconnection, this remembering thing. We shouldn't think of it like on my wedding anniversary, if I think of, well, today my wife and I married, and that's all that happens. I thought about it once in the morning <laughs> when I got up, but I said nothing, did nothing. The question is, have I remembered our anniversary? And I don't think there's a lady out there who would say, of course you have. No, of course I have not. I thought uh, about it, but that's not remembering yeah. it. That's something to consider here. Yeah. What are we looking at? That, that's, that's a really, uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good example, right? Yeah, I, I feel like I've seen a number of comedies where, you know, uh, the the man like forgets the anniversary, right? And he remembers at some point during the day, and he's like, "Oh, honey, I um, <clears throat> look at this. I uh, look at this. I, I I've been planning this all along. Here, there's this thing, right? And it's trying yeah, to like make it seem from the gas station. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. And it's trying to pass it off as like, oh, see, I remembered, right? But but that's that's not what it is. Remembering isn't just like, oh, I just I, that's right. That's what today is. Uh, but it's like you know, I mean, think about it. In the case of an anniversary, it involves planning. Right. It involves yeah. thinking about it uh, leading up to it and then hopefully also remembering back fondly afterwards, like remembering is uh, is much more involved. And um, as we're going to see in this next section, let's go ahead and read this next section, because this complements what we're saying here, um, that that's the problem that we see as God's people that we too often forget. So here is this section does it here. connect us? Does it involve us? Remember yeah. me, said the guy on the cross to Jesus when you come into your kingdom. And, of course, exactly. the theme of righteousness and justice as being correct reflections of God's influence in our lives. If we remember God and what he's done, then we practice righteousness, we practice justice, and our life reflects the same mercy and compassion for others as he's had for us. That's, that's remembering. Yes, yeah, so thank you for making that connection to what it says there in, in verse 3, that, that the, yeah, the remembrance is actually living a certain way as well. So let's go ahead and read this next section here on the, on the theme of remembrance. Verse 6. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe, and redeemed them from the power of the enemy, and the waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. 
then they believed his words, they sang his praise, but soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. So that's that's just the problem. And you know, it wasn't too long ago in Isaiah that we were looking at Isaiah chapter 39 and just how quickly it seems like even good King Hezekiah, how quickly even he forgets. And just after God chastised him for trusting in Egypt, there he goes trusting in Babylon. And so it, it seems that we are so fickle that even after God had rescued them from Egypt, there they are at the red, edge of the Red Sea. It's like they just forgot what just happened um, not very long ago at all. Uh, that seems to be the story of God's people again and again. It is really challenging. You take a look at that story in Exodus 14. You know, the people have been brought out of Egypt by God's mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Through the ten plagues, the last, the angel of death, the passing over of the angel of death for those that had the blood of the lamb or the young goat on the lentil. And then he redirects them. It's funny. It's the very start of chapter 14, Exodus. God says, okay, Moses, have the people go back sort of this direction, and I want them backed up against the Red Sea because mm-hmm. this is what's going to happen. And God tells them what's going to happen, so they go back. They have no place to go. They're boxed in. They got, I mean, they literally got no place to go. Here right. comes Pharaoh and the army, which, you know, God's mercy, had he not taken care of the army of Pharaoh, they would have chased him down in the wilderness and killed him at any time in the following days or weeks. Right. This takes care of two problems at once. First of all, it reaffirms God's great power that he can save us when we can't do a thing, because the people, all they had to do was be silent. Moses said that. Just have them sit down and shut up and watch. And the second thing is, God took care of a problem that would have been a real problem in the future. But That's true. When this was all happening, he said, man, aren't there enough graves in Egypt? You've got to bring us out here to kill us? Right. They're just a right. lack of trust. It's terrible. That's us, right. too, I'm sorry to say. You know, it's, it's so hard and challenging, right? Because when you're in the situation, when you're on the edge of the Red Sea, and it looks like there's just no way. It looks it to- looks totally hopeless. Looks there's, there's no logical way out of this. On one side, there is water, and on the other side, there is an army. There is no out here. You know, we're not going to sprout wings and fly, you know? And, and so nope. it, it seems like in those moments, there's just nothing that can happen. And yet, again and again, God proves that he's the master of creation. He's the one who's made heaven and earth. You know, he's the one. I mean, that's really the, the thing that even happens in Isaiah, that we need to be regarding that, um, that fact, the, the fact of creation uh, foremost among God's wondrous works. You know, he's the creator. He I mean, if he can God, bring he can. something out of nothing, he can save us yes. when it's hopeless. And he does. You know, it's really easy, you and I and everybody else looking around the world saying, man, we are crazy. We've fallen off the edge. We're going to get the rocks and crash. I mean, this is it's nuts out there. It's terrifying. And if we look at the circumstance, we will be terrified like those Israelites. But the question was, can they learn that the test, the trial is always a training session to trust God? Say, you know what, Lord? This is where you want us to be, and you always want what is best, and whatever your will is, that's what is best. So help me to do my job in confidence and with a peace in my heart that you love us and that you have a perfect plan for us. And then that's, that's our challenge yet today, and it's very easy to 
to drop the ball on that as these guys did. Right. And, and that's well said that th there's this connection that when we forget the works of God and when we forget what he has done and therefore have faith in what he will do, that's when we struggle to say, as, as you were just saying, you know, thy will be done. Um, yeah, it's when we go back on ourselves. Record. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's got a perfect track record, so we should be we should be happy to say Thy will be done because His will is only yes. to save us and to and to keep His promises. But there you have it. There at the end of the part we just read, there in verse fifteen, because they forget and they forgot even again after the Red Sea, right? Because they forget and they have their craving and their testing. It says He gave them what they asked and god says yeah, all right if you're had to if you're not going to say thy will be done then then thy will be done yeah so what they get is all these quail that are being blown in from the southeast you know and apparently they just dive in and start munching on the quail without the necessary part of cooking the quail cook i like quail quail's wonderful but you really have to cook <laughs> And if you yeah. just dive in, it's not going to turn out well, and that may be what caused the pestilence to break out, and people just died left and right. So when it's our will that's done, it does not turn out well. When God's will is done and we trust God, and that's really hard to do when you're at the bank of the Red Sea or when you don't have any water or food, right. and, you know, you think maybe God's not aware or he doesn't care. No, he does know and he does care, but this is training this is to teach us, to draw us close to Him. Right. And this is why we can thank God for our sufferings and our hardships. He uses them to draw us close to Him and to sharpen us for the work that He has for us in the world. Right. Yeah, no, our, our forgetfulness is self-destructive. As we forget, we are really destroying ourselves. But this just shows that when God remembers in the midst of our forgetfulness, just shows how His remembrance is saving. You know, it, it's not... You know, when you, when you, uh, this is, it's an interesting thing. It, it kind of worked like this in memory that the memories that you access, um, with some frequency in your mind, those are the ones that they kind of like are carved, um, more, more deeply on your mind. And the memories that you don't ever access at all, um, they just kind of go away. Um, you know, like yeah. it's that whole use it or lose it thing, right? And lots of people, who uh, took a year of uh, French or Spanish in high school or college can attest to this, right? Um, <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't or stay Greek with and you. Hebrew if you seminary. Or, yeah. or, or, or Greek and Hebrew <laughs> in seminary. Uh oh. Um, but yes, no, that's right. You, you've you've got to be able to to keep doing it. And, and so it's interesting because we have that analogy that as you forget, uh, for, forgetting is 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 to lose something, is to have it fade away, is to have it disappear, right? And, and um, Conversely, to remember is to renew it and to strengthen it. And so similarly, as we forget who God is, we're really forgetting our own lives and destroying our own lives. And what God remembers, he recreates and he restores. The um, blessing that we have is that we can recognize fear is, as the popular Christian song says, a liar. That is, yeah. it is a tool of the enemy to distract us and disable us. And really, in uh, Numbers 14, the reason the people of God are sent in the wilderness for 40 years to die is they were afraid and they acted on their fear rather than remembering the God who rescued them and trusting in him to keep his word. So I think right. it's a really important stuff. The little times that we have to, to, to be trained, the tests that we go through, 
to be trained to trust God in the midst of trouble and difficulty when it doesn't look like there's a way out may actually be absolutely necessary when a lot depends on trusting him versus giving in to our fear, such as did the people in the time of Moses or being deceived and led away into temptation to worship other gods as the people in the time of the psalmist. Right, or to worship God in the wrong way, like by making an image. We, uh, we only have a few minutes left here in this first segment, so let's go ahead and read up to the, roughly the halfway point of the psalm, and we'll still have a minute here. So let's pick it up to verse 16, then. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Yeah. So, yeah, two, so more, more on the episodes. theme of forgetting, right? In verse 21, they yeah. forgot God, and that, that's the root of it. The uh, first, uh, we sometimes refer to as Korah's Rebellion in number 16. Yeah, right. There was the uh, terrible golden calf from Exodus 34. And in both cases, you see a rebelliousness, a, a return to idolatry in Exodus 34, and God's intent sort of an offer made to Moses, I'll create a new nation out of you, I'll wipe them out. Right, yeah, that's and right. And for the sake of his name, Moses appeals to God's God's uh, glory, and uh, the Lord spares them. And then, of course, you have the rebellion of Korah, where there were a bunch of Levites that wanted to upgrade and do the priestly thing, and the Lord said, uh, no, see, this is the arrangement I've made, which these guys did that, you guys do this. If you've got an assignment, do your assignment. Don't be messing it up just to chase their work. So there was uh, open uh, earth for some and then fire for the others, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's right. And this is um, just like when we were looking at numbers a couple months ago, that, that was um, this is a really pivotal moment here in the story of numbers. We have to go into a break here, but hang on, everybody. Stick with us. We're about halfway through Psalm 106 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're joined today by the Reverend Dr. Lane Berglund, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Cherubusco, Indiana. We're looking at Psalm 106. We 
just or about halfway through the psalm. This is a psalm of thanksgiving, different sort of thanksgiving, because it's thanks, it's giving thanks to God even in the midst of being confronted with sin, being reminded of our failures. But but in faith, even in those dark moments, giving thanks to God because He's shown His faithfulness again and again. And we've been talking about this theme of uh, forgetting and remembering. And we just saw in this last section of verse 21, again, the problem is if you forget God, it's to your own destruction. But um, brother, I really liked what you were just saying. When Moses appealed to God um, that he would not destroy the, the people of Israel, what was his appeal? It was, well, God, remember your own name for your own yes. name's sake, right? And that's just the difference, right? When we forget God's name, we destroy ourselves. When he remembers his own name, it's to our salvation. It's, but either way, it's all about really, it's not about us. The more important thing is the name of God. And if you have that, absolutely, everything else, everything else follows, which I, I believe is ultimately uh, why that's the first petition in the Lord's Prayer, right? Yeah. And in fact, if you have the Lord, nothing else is that important. If you don't have the Lord, nothing else matters. That's right. That's right. That's right. So... There's this turning point then, I think, um, in the psalm. The, the first half has been like focusing on this theme of um, you know remembering and, and forgetfulness. And that's still going to be there um, in the second half of the psalm, but it's going to change a little bit and kind of get into more of the idea of um, despising or unfaithfulness, kind of looking um, at the, the effects of the forgetfulness. So... Let's take the next chunk here. Keep making some good progress through this uh, this longer psalm here. We just read through verse 23. Let's take the next couple chunks, beginning at verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and he would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to Baal of Peor, and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out, broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. So another scene from Numbers, uh, remembering you know, what, what we've read not, not too long ago. It's, it's interesting because this is not so much about, you, know, you don't see the verbs of forgetting here, but your verbs are, what do you have? You've got, they despised the pleasant land, they murmured, they didn't obey, they yoked themselves to a false god, they, you know, they provoked God. So uh, it's really the, the language of unfaithfulness, isn't it? It is. And, of course, the saddest and the most important moment for that generation, which is, is referenced right off the bat in verse 24 and harkens back to Numbers 14, is when the spies came back with the report that the people of Canaan were all armed and very large, in walled cities, and that looks like they were going to like totally lose. Except right. for Joshua and Caleb, who says, "You got to be kidding me!" You know, God is on our side. It's His promise, right. and it's His battle. But the people then, out of fear, 
decided they need to go back to Egypt and reapply for slave status and right. get rid of Moses and Aaron and Miriam, elect for themselves new leaders. And God says, you mm-hmm. know, guys, that was that was the critical test. It was a do or die, and you've chosen to die, so that's what you're going to do. And it's just really sad when we would let fear get in the way of doing what God has called us to do. And, of course, the next part is... Uh, is tricky because you've got this um, very slick guy, um, Balaam, and he's figured out a way since he can't curse using spiritual power the people of Israel. God has prevented it. Right. He decides to trip him up with one of the old boys and invite him to a party and will supply all the party favors. So right. the Moabites do that, and they trip him up, and the people fall for it largely. And as a result, they're having this... Uh, wild time, and worshiping the gods of Moab, and and it, it takes an extreme action by Phinehas to um, get this thing stopped, you know, and if you read the account of Numbers 25, right. you know, that's quite a remarkable move on his part, yep. and uh, but it's a necessary move to save the people from destruction, which is where they're headed on this path. And as a result, of course, God responds by awarding the high priesthood, priesthood in perpetuity to Phineas and his descendants. But, uh, well, yeah, rebellion and murmuring, we don't want to, we're afraid, we like this stuff better. And so the challenge is not only to survive trial, but also to resist temptation. And in, right. in, the, in the Greek audience, when we're asking God, lead us not into temptation, that word can also mean trial or testing. And so it's, you know, the, the, the wisdom necessary to avoid temptation or the faithfulness and endurance necessary to survive trial come out of the right. same trust relationship with the living God. And we can, in the midst of trial or facing temptation, recount his perfect track record of saving us, rescuing us, delivering us, and count on him to be with us all the way through. And right. thus recognize the need to walk his way. Right, yeah, it's about faithfulness here, and if God is the one who is perfectly faithful. When when the Old Testament talks about faithfulness, it's almost always related to God. Um, I mean, sometimes it talks about uh, the people being faithful, but usually the emphasis is rightly on, on God's faithfulness. Um, it's because he's faithful that we can then be faithful. And that and that's the, the question then, who is going to be faithful in the midst of this temptation, in the midst of trial and tribulation, right? And in this case here, right, it's just Phineas, um, who is just, he's consumed with zeal, and uh, he does, I mean, yeah, it's a very, very bold move, what he does. And it, it's very interesting how you get that phrase, it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, of course, that, that just, I think probably for a lot of people, um, that phrase is kind of just always associated with Abraham. Um, oh, that, yeah, you know, Genesis believed, 15, 6. Exactly, right, that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and that's where it's picked up in the New Testament. Um, but, I mean, isn't, isn't, it, <laughs> isn't it interesting, right? I mean, I, I mean, you know, when the case of Abraham, right, it's like he, he's willing to, uh, you know, he's willing, he's willing to sacrifice his son. In the case of Phineas, it's like he impales um, the man from the tribe of, of Simeon um, and, and the woman he's with. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, like... by princess. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, the, the, the faithful ones are willing to 
I, I mean, you know, to, to pierce and to pierce through and, and to, and to kill even, you know, I mean, like, and you, it's like, whoa, you know what I mean? I mean, that's the action that comes from faithfulness. And then it's, that's a, such a dramatic reversal then where really at the end of it all, when we see that none of Israel has been faithful, who's going to be faithful? Oh, it's Jesus, the one who's going to allow himself to be pierced. Yeah, he's um, called the faithful and true in Revelation. It's true, when Abraham believes, it's very passive. It's in Genesis 15, it's 10 years before Isaac's born. It's 10 years before he's circumcised. And, of course, that's Paul's point in Romans 4. Abraham is justified as a Gentile before circumcision in right. proving to us that we are heirs of Abraham's promise by faith, not by circumcision of the flesh. Here, it's a much more active sort of... Uh, act of faith, you know, where this righteousness is demonstrated. And it's true that if we are going to talk to any or talk about anyone who is faithful is uh, to our Lord Jesus, that we will look who is the faithful and the true first and the last. And his titles bear witness to his, not only his nature, but also his perfect salvation fulfillment plan. Yeah, it's just amazing. And uh, it's not the only portion here that that harkens uh, us to the New Testament. I I was just what was the other one that kind of uh, drew my mind? I think it was actually a little bit earlier when it was actually back before the break. We were talking about the golden calf incident, and there's that verse back in twenty. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that mm -hmm. eats Probably grass. Born, yeah. Exactly right. That's picked up in Romans then, right? Um, or in Romans, what is, what is it that Paul says? He says, um, oh, what was it? It was in Romans 1. I think it was, it was. around verse, it was uh, maybe around verse 20 or 20, ah, 3. That's yeah. right. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God with the likeness of an image of mortal human beings and birds and quadrupeds and reptiles. Oh, that's not the ESV, <laughs> but um, yeah, but it's actually, uh, it actually brings it out. The idea it's just, just animals, you know, like that, that's really what you're going to try to substitute for God. Um, yeah, you want to reach that, back in time and say, Hey guys, you need a better God than that critter, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. That's right. Or, or, or the idea that, you know, they could, um, that they could take the, the glory of God, you know, which he revealed in, in that cloud and in that fire and that flame, right? That they could take that and they'd say like, oh, well, you know, this is how we want to represent our God um, in this statue over here, right? As if they could improve upon what God himself had done. I think it's human a tendency to try to shrink God and, and yeah. bring, him, bring him much smaller and it doesn't take a lot of reading of Scripture before you begin to get the impression that this is not possible with the living God. Um, and I know even people that they maybe deny the resurrection because they imagine it to be simply a repeat of this age, and it's not. Jesus says that. Paul says that. It's a very different reality. And so before we reject things or toss them out, it's important to remember God can and it's important to remember that he's faithful. If he said something, he'll do it. And even if we can't see how he's going to do it, that's irrelevant, because this is on God, and he always can, and he always keeps his word. So right. rather than sort of let our human reason 
sort of shape things, dictate and determine our actions, then we're so much better off to let Scripture decide for us and leave God lead us in the way that He wills. Right. Well, yeah, no, and that and that's actually I think why yeah you get this this phrase that that is associated with Abraham, right? I mean that's what that's what James does with it in chapter two that. Um, you're, you're right that the phrase, you know, it was counted to him as righteousness. I mean, that goes like, you know, back to, uh, you know, when God just spoke to Abraham, but James, he goes and he makes the point that, um, you know, that passage was really fulfilled when he was willing to go and offer his son, which is a moment yeah. of not relying on reason. I mean, I mean, no. right. Cause there's no way that he's going to have these descendants as numerous as the stars, if his only son dies, like, how is that supposed to work? The math doesn't That's add right. up, right? Yeah, helpful to remember that James uses the word justified in the final judgment, which is a public testimony of works. And Paul tends to use the word justified reference to the private judgment, which is when God gives us the credit of Christ's sacrifice and takes our sins on him. So Paul can genuinely say we are justified apart from works of the law, and James can truly say we are justified by works and faith, because he's talking a look at the same thing that we've seen Jesus talk about in Matthew 25. When judging sheep and goats, he points to the works as evidence of faith, and that's what James has in mind. The final right. judgment, where the evidence of faith is admitted into the court of law, Paul has in mind the act of declaring us right with God. So, you know, kind of right. keep in mind that James and Paul tend to operate with the different time frame for their picture of justification, private right. versus well, public, personal versus end time. So anyway, that, that having very, just said, yes. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's very helpful, too, to think about it in terms of the, the public, because I think that's what's going on in verse 31, right? That it's the line of Phineas is publicly uh, lifted up and blessed as the one that would continue the priesthood. Very, very public yeah. thing, giving them this public office, kind of like right? like the almost sacrifice of Isaac, as you point out. Very right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, let's take a look at the, the next section here. So, okay, after having considered the, this kind of faithfulness question here, um, it continues to develop, and we have the next couple of sections beginning in verse 32 then. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds." So isn't that uh, overwhelming almost, isn't it? It, it is. I mean, it, it is, you know, and, and there's so much repetition of that part about sacrificing their sons and their daughters. I mean, that's um, the rep the repetition, just making something that's so graphic and jarring uh, just stand out right there. The the depth of the depravity is, is underscored that way. Yeah, it started out, you know, bad enough where Moses was told to command the rock at Meribah Bruce water, but he struck it with a staff. As a right. result, God said, you cannot enter the promised land. I'll show it to you, but you don't get in. And sometimes it seems like that's a little overkill, but 
in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul points out the rock that followed them was Christ. So it's quite possible that there's this divine presence in, in, represented by the rock from which God provides water, mm-hmm. and that by striking that rock with his staff, it was an overt rebellion against God, you know, and it's really breathtakingly terrible that he would do that if, in fact, this rock somehow represents God's presence and providence with the people. So, you know, that's bad. But far worse was what then followed from the people. You know, once the generation of Joshua was gone, the people that had been trained and taught in the wilderness for 40 years, the next generations completely forgot what it meant to be God's people, and they adopted, they adapted. Really, it's hard not to see a lot of parallels in our culture today that yeah. uh, the uh, corruption has soaked into God's people, and they've adapted to the world and adopted the world's ethics and priorities and values, and it's just the most depressing thing, for it suggests we have not learned at all from previous generations you know, the old right. statement, I believe it was credited to Santiana, that he who is ignorant of history is doomed to repeat its mistakes, and that certainly mm-hmm. seems to be the case again. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, it's it's really just a, this explanation, this expounding on the idea of, you know, they're going to do it their own way, and that's that's what happens. When you forget God, and you forget what he told you to do, well, then you're just going to try to figure it out on your own, which, you know, as that, as that quote, which you shared with us suggests means you're just going to repeat the same mistakes that have been tried time and time again. Um, you know, isn't that and, the and, definition of sanity? Insanity is insanity, right. over and over. Right. No, no, exactly. Right. And every time we're, we're sinful enough to think like, Oh, it'll turn out differently this time. Or, well, for me, it'll work out <laughs> for everyone yeah. else. It failed, <laughs> but I'm, I am so special, right? Like it's, it's oh, yeah, yeah that that human conceit that human hubris that we just fall into every time um you know and so this is i want to pause and just you know take stock of this you know so we have here right you know these these moments which are just which are just dark um and so from the perspective of you know these exiles that are recounting all of this right i mean they're they're showing that hey you know what as bad as it is right now you know, I, I mean, Jerusalem destroyed, the temple destroyed, right? Um, our people scattered, you know, the, the image for the people of Judah is a dead body. That That's the image that's used in Ezekiel, that, that it's well, an army of dead bodies, just scattered oh, yeah, bones, nothing, yeah. right? And, and and so, you know, it's, it's bad, it's bad, but I think the, the effect of, of highlighting just how bad and dark these moments were in the past it is almost it is almost cons- it's consoling this way it's consoling to say that actually you know what there were some really bad moments in the past and god saw us through those too you know it was it was really bad you think things are bad right now things used to be really really bad but you know what even when we really really messed up even when we sacrificed our own sons and daughters and that that's underscored right even when we were that bad, that we did that, God still had mercy, and you know, and, and so I think it's there's there's something about that that there's a there's a comfort going on here when God, by His Word, tells you, 
I'm the God who forgives not just the, the trivial sins, I forgive the really bad ones too. It's important to know that as well for almost all of us at one point or another strayed and the Lord brings us back and then the question is, how can you forgive me? Am I really forgiven? And the answer is God has paid the price. That's the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world, ours included. Secondly, if I don't believe that I'm truly forgiven, then I'm going to hinder myself. I want to sort of cut my own Achilles heel in walking with God, for I'll be trying to carry around my entire past, and it's been absolved. The blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. And the, the challenge for us as we're looking at this is, can we learn from their mistakes? Can we learn from our mistakes? How can I today serve the Lord in righteousness and practice justice? How can I bring my faith to bear in all that I, I do? Plus right. the fact, if it is true that there is a reckoning or a discipline to be administered in this world or in this nation because of the sins, which seem to be bounding up higher all the time, right? where shall we look to for our help and salvation? And it is none other than the Lord. You know, he will bring us through the hard times, faith in fact, and get us home. It's like Jesus right. says in Revelation 2, you know, don't be afraid about the things you are going to suffer, for the devil will put some of you in prison for a period of time, which the, you know, the symbolic is 10 days for a period of time. But be faithful unto death, and I will give unto you the crown of life. And it's that endurance which relies entirely on God's strength and his word, the light of his light, as well as the wisdom to know the difference between false gods and the real God, Right. that he will use to see us through whatever we have to face. He will be there with us. Uh, in, right. in the Psalm 46, Luther's Psalm, the God of Jacob is our, our, our refuge. You know, the, 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 the Lord of hosts is with us. Ab absolutely, right. If there's, if there's any way out of this, if there's any forgiveness for, you know, the, the terrible deeds that have been done as we look around with blood on our hands, it, it's going to begin when we remember that God has been faithful all along, even in the darkest of moments. We only have a few in minutes left. Yes, yes. It, it, as he says in his word, and in this word, Psalm 106 for us today, uh, it's really just meat, right, and salutary, to use that phrase, to be giving thanks and taking a few days to be, thank to be thankful, not just in the abstract, but to say thank you as we pray these psalms ourselves. Just a few minutes left. Let's read the the last part here of the psalm, and we'll still have a minute or two to uh, do some concluding reflections. So we just read verse 39. So let's take verse 40 now to the end. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. 
blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Which is a, just such a beautiful way to conclude it, because, I mean, in Hebrew, it's Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, absolutely. The uh, two words that I think uh, probably, if you don't count Hosanna, which I'm not sure anybody really knows what that means, except save us now, but you got a hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh, divine name, praise the Lord, and then you have amen, which comes from a, a word that has reference to that, which is solid, dependable, trustworthy, and we, you know, use it to express our agreement with what has just been said. Right. And the cry to save, you know, there are one author thinks that maybe this was written by some of the exiles that first returned which right. might be reflected in you caused the nations that pity Cyrus the Great did issue a return right. edict by 538. But, yeah, I was thinking um, about that. Yeah, there's this uh, uh, diaspora that's spreading out of the Jewish people, and the Lord has promised to bring his people, not just descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but from all the nations to his holy city to be one flock and to be with him forever. So I think it's a great prayer for us to pray to, to save us, to gather us in from the nation, to bring us home to you, and to see us through the various trials and temptations with faith intact to your glory, O Lord, and for the sake of your name. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate how you helped to see the connections uh, to the other texts of the Old Testament and also to the New and the connections to our lives as we aren't just thankful, but we say thank you on this day after Thanksgiving. We're all out of time, but I look forward, I appreciate it and look forward to having you on again soon. Uh, may the Lord be with us all. Amen. Everybody, that was Pastor Lane Berglund, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Cherubusco, Indiana. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, ask that God bless your uh, observance here of Thanksgiving uh, as, as you thank him for his goodness. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. Until next time, everybody, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.